Well, uh, I wonder how many of you know how that they train um, circus elephants. <laughs> it's probably something you've been Googling all week, I'm sure. You just couldn't wait to figure out how are circus elephants trained. Uh, baby elephants are trained by the time they're small by putting a rope around their neck and then attaching that rope to a pole in the ground. Um, and so when that little baby elephant goes to move away, it feels tension on the rope. And so it pulls and pushes and twists and turns and tries to get away, but because it's just a little baby elephant, it can't pull the, the stake out of the ground, the big pole out of the ground, and so it eventually just figures out it's not strong enough and it gives up. And then the next day, the same thing happens. The trainers take the little baby elephant, they put the rope around its neck, and uh, once again, the whole cycle repeats itself, and then they give up again. And this happens over and over and over and day in and day out until eventually the little baby elephant doesn't even try to break free anymore because they know it's futile. And so then, as time passes, the little baby elephant grows up to be a big adult elephant. And because elephants have a good memory, they have been trained over time that regardless of what changes, they're not strong enough to break free. And so as you can see in this picture, you can actually take a trained elephant, a full giant massive elephant, you can see that little pole in the ground that probably, maybe, a few of us would be strong enough to pull out of the ground. And certainly an adult elephant, if they just knew they could, they could pull that little stake out of the ground and just take off. But they don't do it because they've been trained that they can't. And so um, sometimes when you go to the circus, you'll actually see elephants that have ropes around their neck that's not attached to anything. They've been so trained that that rope is their limitation that they will actually stand there with just the weight of the rope around their neck alone, and that triggers a memory that there's nothing I can do about this, I'm stuck. Now, there's only one reason, there's only one reason that that form of training works, and it's because the elephant believes it. If the elephant didn't believe it, it would never work because the elephant surely is strong enough to pull this... Um, this pole out of the ground. So I want you to think about what that means. What that elephant believes changes its reality and severely limits its life. What you and I believe really matters. What you and I believe really matters. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to give you a limitless life? What you believe really matters. Now, by the time most of us reach adulthood, um, our experiences and our circumstances have taught us to believe a bunch of things that actually limit us. But they only limit us because, like the elephant, we believe them. So that's what this whole series, Limitless, is about. Is it's about rethinking life. It's about uh, asking, is it possible that God has this wide-open life that he's been trying to give to us. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13 is sort of the foundation of this series, so I want to read it again this morning. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. 
We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Now, last week we started this series that we've just called Limitless, and we talked about limitless love. Next Sunday morning, like write it down, take your phone out and put a notification in, you know, elbow somebody next to you and say, you got to remind me, whatever you got to do, next Sunday morning you have to be here. Pastor Jason Heath, our new children's and outreach pastor, is going to be preaching Limitless Grace. And in that sermon, he's going to share his own story that you absolutely have to hear. It's powerful. It will inspire you. It'll touch you. And then uh, uh, the week after that, uh, his wife, Corey, is going to be preaching on Mother's Day. She's going to be sharing limitless peace. And in that sermon on Mother's Day, she's going to tell her story and you, have, you just have to be here for those. We have a very special Mother's Day planned already, but that's going to make it even better. So I hope that you'll join us for those. Now today, we're talking about limitless faith. So like that elephant, many times our lives are limited because our faith is limited. So um, faith, if you look through the Bible, is a huge deal. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed... You know, the mustard seeds, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. It, like, I went and bought a pack one time because I just want to know what he's talking about. And I poured them out of my hand, I went, really? <laughs> Jesus, give us a little more credit than that. I mean, that's all we need is that right there. I could sneeze and that's gone. Faith is a mustard seed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says this, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, look at this phrase, of greater worth than gold. Your faith has more value than gold. Think about that. According to Romans 10, 9, and 10, you can't even be a Christian without faith. If you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead on the third day, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be a One of the reasons, one of the factors in you even being a Christian is that you believe you are. You believe what Jesus said. So, so faith, faith is a big deal. Faith is, faith is the key to living a limitless life. Now, it sounds simple, doesn't it? Just believe and you'll live a limitless life. That's it? Just believe? Uh, some of you may remember years ago, uh, people used to put a bumper sticker on their car. And uh, it just, it just uh, never uh, set well with me. But the bumper sticker would say, and maybe you had it, I'm not picking on you if you had it. But it would say, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Anybody remember that? Oh, oh, that settles it. That's what's, I've been wondering what settles it. That settles it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's all there is to it. When I was about 12 years old, uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And uh, we went to the um, hospital to visit him. And it just so happens while we were there, the doctor came in the room. And uh, my grandfather, being a very, uh, uh, he was a very stubborn man. 
And he, he had decided that, you know, no matter what, uh, he was going to believe God for healing. And so he actually believed this so much that he got into a little exchange with the doctor. You know, I'm, I'm a kid in the room here going, what is this? And, and he told the, the, the doctor, said, they kind of went back and forth, and the doctor was being nice, finally said, listen, um, here's how many months you have to live. And my grandfather said, nope, I'm going to live longer than that because God's going to heal me. And of course, uh, uh, it looked like the doctor was pretty stubborn too. And so my grandfather said, well, I'm so convinced of this, I'll tell you what, I'll make a bet with you. If I'm here this time next year, you buy me a farm. That's what he said. You know, it's like a tennis match. And, And the doctor said, okay, I'll do it. And so my grandfather took out a piece of paper and he wrote down, I still have the piece of paper. He wrote down, you know, God's going to heal me and the doctor's going to buy me a farm and he dated it and there you go. Now, uh, I left the hospital thinking, man, that's, like, that's incredible faith. And uh, unfortunately, a few months later, my grandfather went to heaven and he never saw that farm and he never saw, he never saw the completion of that. Can you imagine how confusing that would be to a 12-year-old boy to look at that and say, you know, did God fail him? Did he, did he believe wrong? You know, what, what broke there? That's confusing. And if I'm honest, um, I've had other times of confusion in my life about faith. And maybe some of you felt that way. Somehow that little bumper sticker, God said it and I believe it and that settles it, just didn't cut it for me. Faith's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? If faith, though, is the key to limitless life, and I believe it is, then then we have to figure out how how do we have faith? How... How are we supposed to take this challenge that Scripture gives us and this invitation that Jesus gives us to believe? How do we believe? Well, if you want to take out something to write with, I I wish I had a better organized sermon or something sharper or slicker, but here's what I have. I'm going to share the, the things with you about faith that it's taken me all my life to learn. Uh, these come from my own life and my own experience and my own understanding of the Bible and my own understanding of faith with Jesus. And what I want to do in no order, particular order, is I just want to give you issues that I think are related to us having faith in God and experiencing a limitless life. So, so here they go. Number one, feed your faith. Romans ten seventeen says... Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Let me tell you what I find to be true about faith. When your faith struggles the most, I almost guarantee you it's at the exact same point of your life that you have a relationship problem with the Bible. What I mean is, is that you have distanced yourself, you have not read you have not studied, you have not meditated on, you have not fed your soul the living words of God. 
Because this verse says that faith comes from hearing the message about Jesus. What is the message about Jesus? It's the Bible. And I bet if you're willing to be honest about it, the times that you've had the longest struggles of faith in your life are the times that you've been most distant from the Bible. Because the Bible is God's Word. It's God's voice. It's God's um, uh, explanation to you. It's God's challenge to you. It's God's encouragement to you. It's the way that God renews us. So um, our, our, our soul, our life, is kind of like a tomato plant. If, you, if, you don't, if it gets sunlight and it gets proper soil and it gets water and all the right things, man, it will produce a bumper crop of tomatoes. But if you've ever seen tomatoes that had a, had a, um, a fertilizer or a, or a source resource problem, man, the tomatoes might split, they might wilt, they might sink in, they might never ripen right. And that's what happens when you and I become too separated from God's Word. Is, is that we, we don't, we're, not our, we're not feeding our faith. Our faith is starving. Our faith is anemic. Our faith has become weak because we're not feeding it. And so it's very important. This challenge of faith has everything to do with the renewal of the mind. Right? Because it's our mind that starts to doubt. It's our mind that starts to wonder. It's our mind that gets confused. It's our mind that embraces so many other thoughts. And the way that thoughts are being thrown at our mind, it's such a, um, a breakneck pace these days. We're being fed with a fire hose, constant information that is contrary to what God says to us about life and, and faith. And so when we feed our spirit... When we feed our mind and renew our mind, I promise you when you feed your faith, it will grow. And I promise you if you starve your faith, it'll shrink. And if you'll just track your own life, you'll notice that there's a, there's a struggle there. All right, number two, let God heal your wounds. Maybe, maybe you've never heard that thought. I've never heard that thought before in, in relationship to faith. But I do believe it's true. In a world like ours, there's plenty of ways to get hurt, right? And what you do with that hurt, what I'm just going to say to you, has a direct connection to your faith. So when somebody gets hurt, when we get hurt, our temptation is to become cynical. And then we start to say things like, you know, uh, all churches are the same. They don't care about people. Or all churches want is your money. Or all politicians are corrupt. Or all men are the same. Or all women will eventually leave you. And these are statements that come from inside a wounded heart. And that's what we have to understand. It's a cynicism that has grown out of a wound. I remember when I was in uh, college, a buddy of mine and I, way before, some of you don't even remember this, there was actually a time in world history where there were no cell phones. I know you can't fathom that. Like, how did you function? You know, how did you even, how did you make it? How are you alive now? Well, we actually breathed, you know, before then. But a buddy of mine and I, we drive from Memphis all the way to Central Florida. It was a 15-hour drive, and it was just boring and monotonous, and we were alone in our own cars, so we bought CBs. And we would talk, you know, all the way, all the way there. We'd just talk. And that, that's, that's a, 
That's old school communication right there. We talked 15 hours of that thing. Late one night, we're driving in central Florida, and we're about on the 14th and a half hour. And we're driving through there, and somehow a trucker is on our channel, and he cuts in. And we're talking, and we're having this great cordial conversation. And uh, he said, you know, what are you, where are you guys headed? Well, we're, it's late. You know, it's probably 1 o'clock in the morning by then. It didn't have any sense. You know, just travel as late as you could travel. 2 o'clock, whatever. Had class the next morning at 7. You know, plenty of time. And so I'd have to go to the post office and find out what my schedule was. Where am I supposed to be? Okay, good, all right. So we're, we're just busting through there trying to get home. And he says, oh, you guys go to college. What, what, what's your major? And we said, um, ministry, a, a pastoral major. And the guy, like, flipped on us. He went Jekyll Hyde. He, he, he went straight into a whole other voice. And he began to curse at us. And he said, the last thing, some of you won't get this reference, but you'll understand by the context. The last thing any of us need is another blankety-blank Jimmy Swaggart. That's what he said. Now, Jimmy Swaggart was a pastor a long time ago that had a moral failure. Now, I just want you to know, I, I didn't know how to respond. I thought, no, no, we, that's not, we don't, we're, like, I'm a poor college student. <laughs> I'm not trying to get anything. I'm trying to give something. I, but I didn't, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't know how to respond. But here's what I want you to know. Behind that outrage, there's a wounded heart. And now I look back and I wonder, wonder what the story is. I wonder what church he was a part of who heard him. There's no shortage of examples of people who've been manipulated religion for their own purposes or leaders who have failed or people who were supposed to help you that actually hurt you. But watch. The temptation, when that happens, is to grow cynical. Right? And I don't know anything, I don't know anything that will hurt your faith like cynicism. Like cynicism. Uh, a, fam a family friend I talked to last year, we, we hadn't talked in 15 years. I, I knew her when she was a teenager and... Uh, knew her husband, and I know their family real well, her mom and dad. I was asking her about her mom and dad. They had been a part of a church that we knew very well, and they were on staff there at the church, and they, they had gotten really hurt and kind of left in a bad way. And I asked her, I said, hey, how's your mom and dad doing? Because we were, we were such close friends for a, a long season. And she said, boy, they're, you know, pray for them. They're not doing real well. And I said, well, where do they, where do they go to church now? She said, they don't go. And I said, what, what do you mean? She said, well, they haven't been to church since they left that other church. I said, that was 15 years ago. They haven't been to a church service in 15 years. Are you, are you kidding me? And my, it hurt me. I, I, could, I could feel pain in my body. It physically hurt me to know the things that God had done in their life. Behind every cynical person, there is a wound that has not been healed. And if, if you're cynical this morning, because you've been hurt by somebody you trusted, I, I wouldn't for a minute doubt your pain. I believe your pain is real, 
and I'm deeply sorry about what you've been through. And I wouldn't pretend that everyone that was supposed to be what they're supposed to be has been that for you. But I do have one question for you this morning. What has all that cynicism done for your faith? Cynicism is like poison to faith. It will ruin faith. Now, I'm not saying don't use wisdom, and I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. What I am saying is if you don't allow God to heal your wounds, you will likely grow cynical, and cynicism will kill your faith. But I've got good news. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Your faith is more valuable than pure gold. So don't let cynicism kill your faith because God is close to the wounded and the brokenhearted and he wants to heal you. He wants to touch you and to make your faith strong. Number three, put your faith in God. That sounds, you know, kind of like God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Kind of that's Put your faith in God. But there is actually a deeper point here. There's a story in the book of Daniel about this king who had way too big of an ego, and he built this big statue, and the whole thing was, is everybody in the country is going to bow down and worship the statue, and if you don't bow down and worship the statue, I'm going to throw you into this furnace, and it's going to cook you alive, and you're going to die. So that was a problem for these three young men who worshiped God, because now they had two options, either worship this false god or risk dying. And so the king found out, he called them in, they're having this conversation, and he basically says, now guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. This is the law. You worship this you know, idol here, this statue I built, or, or I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And in Daniel 3.17, here's their response to the king. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty. And there's a statement of faith. But look at verse 18. But... <laughs> you see that? However, just in case, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. See, sometimes we misunderstand what faith is by thinking it's the ability to control the future. And the reason that happens is because we sometimes put our faith in something other than God. Rather than putting our faith in him. So they said, even if he does not deliver us. They were saying, we believe God will deliver us, but our faith is not in deliverance. Our faith is in God. Now I'm just going to tell you, I don't care how religious it sounds. If you ever put your faith in anything other than God, you will eventually hurt your faith. I promise you. The day will come your faith will hurt. But if you put your faith in God, then I'm telling you your faith will be safe. So don't put your faith in miracles. Put your faith in a miracle worker. Don't put your faith in healing. Put your faith in a healer. Don't put your faith in deliverance. Put your faith in a deliverer. See, there's not this special class of faith that produces miracles and then this second class of faith that'll just get you to heaven. 
The faith that it takes to believe that God will get you through the circumstances is the same faith that it takes to believe that God will do a miracle and remove you from the circumstances. Now, I don't know which one he's going to do, but faith is faith. It's one thing. Having said that, faith is also a decision. Will you choose to believe God even when you don't know the outcome? And that's what these three boys are saying. Look, he will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. We're not changing faith. We're not changing faith just because the furnace is hot. Now, if you put your faith in God like that, I promise you, your faith is going to not only be safe, it's going to grow. Faith is not the ability to control the future. It's the ability to face the future because you have faith in God. Because we know what the ultimate future is, and that's when all things are made new and all things are set right and he wipes away every tear and he takes away every sickness and he fixes every problem in the universe. That's the God who we put faith in. So does that mean we shouldn't believe in miracles? Well, no. That would be a lack of faith. (laughs) Of course, my faith's not in miracles, but I believe that God does miracles. I remember when we were serving in, uh, at a church in Auburn, Alabama, there's a guy named Joe Byler. He's such an interesting guy. I don't think he, like he was, you know, he was saved. You know what I'm saying? Ish. I, yeah, he, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I, I just got there. So he wasn't saved long, whatever. This guy had a massive uh, heart attack or something. And man, he was dying, and the ambulance came to get him, and he's in the ambulance. This guy flatlined. I'm talking about in the ambulance, nothing. He flatlined. He's gone. He's not responsive. He's not moving. His eyes aren't open. Nothing. And they're working on him, and they're trying to, they're trying to find a vein uh, to, to, to uh, put, some, put something in him that's going to help him, and he's sitting there gone. And he said, when I was gone... God told me they can't find the vein. Tell them to put it here because they've been poking around on it. And Joe Byler in the back of that ambulance flatline sat up. And they went. And he said, put the, put the needle here. And they put it there and it struck. And he went back out, and they brought him back. And, and about a couple months later, I was at his house eating dinner. Now, I believe in miracles. So what I'm saying is, having faith in God is not a lack of ability to believe God for miracles. It's just the right place to put your faith. We definitely believe in miracles, but since we don't have the ability to control miracles then we need to put our faith in God. He'll do the controlling of the miracles. Number four, see yourself the way God sees you. There's a story in the Old Testament where God told his people to go invade this land because God had given the land to them, but uh, there were these giants that lived there. So um, God's people sent 12 spies in the land to scout it out, 
And you may know this story. Ten of them came back with a, a bad report, and two of them came back with a good report. But here's what I want you to see. It all had to do with the way that they saw themselves. Now watch this, Numbers 13, 33. And they spread among the Israelites a bad... Don't you just love people who spread a bad report? That's my favorite thing. Please just go and become a herald of bad news. You know, that's such incredible. About the land they'd explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Uh, they were the descendants of the same giant that David fought. There, that, that's his relatives. We seem like, look at this, we seem like what? We seem like grasshoppers to who? In our own eyes, and we look to them, and they look the same to them. They, they were like these elephants tied to a rope on a stick in the ground. They were already beat before they even left. So they might as well not even go. Even though God had already told them, I gave you this land. Now look, that's a very important point. God has this habit of constantly seeing the potential in each one of us. He sees us not as we are now, but as we can be in Jesus Christ. Now I'm just going to tell you, in my opinion, just about every problem that you and I will ever face can be resolved in the point of our identity in Jesus. How do you see yourself? Can I tell you, some of you have not been promoted at work because you can't see yourself in the next job up. I make it very practical. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't have the training. I don't have the education. I don't have the background. Did God open the door? Then you got to see yourself in the role that God wants you to be in. Some of you say, man, I can never see myself being a good father because I didn't have a good father. And I'm telling you, when God looks at you, he sees a good father because that's his will for you is to be a good father. But the problem is how you see yourself. It's not how God sees you. Some of you ladies, you say, but you don't understand how I was raised, and my dad treated my mom this way, and I can't be a good, I can't be a good mom. I didn't have a good mom. I can't be a great mom. You need to stop saying that, and you need to start seeing yourself as God sees you because it's God's will for you to be a great mom. Some of, some of uh, teenagers and 20s in the room, you've been the black sheep. That was your reputation in your family. Maybe in high school, maybe you've graduated and you, you were the kind of the bad kid or the rough kid. You can't see yourself as being anything else and you just keep repeating the same stuff over and over because you can't see yourself any different. You need to see yourself as God sees you as a blessed son or a blessed daughter of God clothed in his righteousness and then live from that. Some of you senior adults in the room you say, what difference can I make? Maybe you're facing physical limitations or some other kind of limitation, but you need to see yourself as God sees you with the gifts and the abilities that he's given you, and you can absolutely make a difference. But it's how you see yourself. See, when you became a Christian, you got a new identity. You're not the person you were. Listen to this. Listen to this. You're not the person you were, but it takes faith to become the new creation that God has made you to be. 
It's not going to happen automatically. Just because you got saved doesn't mean everything God wants you to be, you're going to be. You have to exercise faith in that identity. So how does God want you to see yourself? I'm so glad you asked. This is a passion of mine because I had to embrace an entirely new identity when I got saved. And I, under, I understand this on a deep level, but I just brought a list, okay? I just brought a list. How does God want you to see yourself like this? I am loved. I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. I'm Jesus' friend. I'm a joint heir with Jesus, sharing his inheritance with him. I'm united with God and one in spirit. I'm a temple of God. His spirit and life live in me. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm complete in Jesus. I'm free from condemnation. I'm a new creation because I am in Christ. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I'm established, anointed, sealed by God. I do not have a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. I'm God's co-worker. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. I have direct access with God. I'm chosen to bear fruit. I've been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which I share his nature. I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. God works in me to help me do the things he wants me to do I can ask God for wisdom and he will give me what I need that's who you are that's who you are faith is believing that faith is believing what God says about you not what anybody else says about you faith is seeing yourself the way God sees you all right here's the last thought Put your faith in action. You want to have limitless faith? You got to do something with your faith. So many times we know what to do, but we hesitate. We wait. We wait because we're unsure, because we don't know how it'll work out, because we feel unqualified. We wait for a better opportunity. We wait for inspiration. It's such a paradox to me that in a day of such frenzied activity of go, 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 work longer, work harder, tap on your phone, stay on your phone, stay on your phone, stay on your phone, stay on your computer, drive, 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 commute. There's so much frenzied activity that it's a paradox to me that we become so paralyzed in our faith. We, 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 are, we are wired for action everywhere but in the quadrant of faith. And I think the enemy might have a plan to suffocate our faith. Sometimes maybe we don't know exactly what to do, so we wait for it to be perfectly clear, and we say, when I know for sure, I'll move. It's human nature to get stuck. But when you and I get stuck, our faith gets weak. James 2.26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Backing up in that same chapter a little bit, James 2.22, he says, You see that his faith, talking about Abraham, watch, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. What does that verse say? It says that your faith is strengthened when you act on it. When you do something with it. When you engage with it. When you take a step. When you move forward. When you read your Bible. When you pray. When you reach out and invite somebody. When you share your faith. When you take a step. When you start to serve. When you share water baptism. When you take a step and act on your faith, your faith is strengthened. 
Let me tell you when it's not strengthened. When you're stuck and you don't move. Look, I don't know what your next step is, but I, I'm convinced you have one. I'm convinced I have one. So I, I want to show you something I'm, I'm just going to put on the screen this morning. Um, if, you, if you look at our website, we have a, we have a place uh, there on our website that gives you the next steps. And we've just sort of organized them in a way that we thought they would be helpful to you. Okay, These aren't the steps you can take to help our church. These are the steps you can take to help your faith. So let, let me just give you some this morning. We've got a, a class you hear us talk about all the time called First Step. If you're new to Kingwood, man, that's, well, I mean, that's what we called it. That's your first step. We've got a, another class after that called Next Steps. If you don't know, if you, now, you may say, well, I mean, I've been at Kingwood three or four years. It doesn't matter if you've been here ten years. If you don't know what your next step is, that's for you. Like we made that to help everybody, new or not, find their next step. And we talk about it in there. One of our steps is uh, join a group. If, you're, if your next step is to meet people and grow together, that's what that's for. Hey, by the way, can I tell you, this past spring, we've had more people in a life group than at any point in Kingwood Church history. So now, isn't that great? So now is an incredible time to act on your faith and move into a group. Another one says, another step is start serving. Serving is one of the best ways I know to grow your faith. Water baptism, you, you saw it this morning. If you recently started a relationship with Jesus or maybe you've never been baptized, that's a step you can take and we want to help you. Another one of the steps we've highlighted is uh, mission, go on a mission trip. I promise you, I promise you, you go on a mission strip, your faith will grow. Because you've got to go into the unknown, you've got to go in the unfamiliar, you're going to serve, you've got block time. By the way, uh, last year in our team that went to Honduras, we took 18 people that has never been on a mission trip before, and in a, a couple of months, in June this summer, we're going to take 18 more people that have never been on a mission trip. And so I'm just telling you, I, I'm excited. I, that's the people I want to talk to when they get back. Because I want to hear the stories. What happened? What did God do? And I guarantee they come back energized and say, Man, I've got to, I've got to, I went there to bless them, but they blessed me. I'm telling you, that kind of engagement. May, uh, uh, another one of our steps, uh, next step is tithing challenge. Maybe, maybe giving's your next step. I promise you this it is absolutely impossible for you to start giving to God on a regular basis and believe Him that He's going to meet your needs and make up the difference and your faith not grow. I promise you, your faith will grow. Now look, these are just a few of the steps that we've been able to make. What we tried to do is say, what are the steps that help most people's faith grow? Let's make those available 24-7. And we're not done. We've got more to do. But here, here's what I want you to know. There's a bunch of steps that we don't have yet and we may never have. But it may be your step. Maybe your step is to read the Bible. Maybe it's to pray. Maybe it's to invite someone to church. Maybe it's to share your faith. Maybe it's to fast. Maybe your next step is to forgive someone who's hurt you. 
Maybe it's giving God a chance to heal your wounded heart. Maybe your next step is uh, to have a difficult conversation with someone in the hopes of reconciliation. Maybe your next step is to make a weekly commitment to come to church. Maybe, maybe your next step is it's time for you to start a real relationship with Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you this. Today, the Holy Spirit invites you to put your faith into action and to take a step. And when you do, your faith will grow. And you know what I find? We wait for these big, gigantic, enormous, huge moments where we're going to take this big, giant faith. I find the things that have grown my faith the most are not the big things. Half of them, nobody else even knew I did. They're little steps. But they were little steps of obedience in response to what God was asking me to do at the time. And when I took that little step, man, my faith would just grow. So I wonder what your step is today. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask our prayer team to come. Every eye closed. If you just open your heart and find a place to stand that you could just be quiet for a moment. Listen. Listen to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would draw every person that needs to take a step. I believe today there are only two kinds of people in the room. Those who know what their next step is and those who don't. But I believe we all have a next step. And so I just want to ask you today, if you know what your step is, with every eye closed, you see, I know what step God wants me to take. I believe I know what it is. Nobody looking, would you just lift a hand and say, I believe I know what the step is God wants me to take. Just lift your hand. I know, I know what my next step is. Yeah. Thank you. Just lift your hand. I know what my step is. I know what my step is. Come on, just lift it up. I know what I know what I need to do. I know what God's inviting me to do. I know what my next step is this morning. Just lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Put it right back down. I know what my next step is. Maybe today, thank you. Maybe today your next step is, I need to start a real relationship with Jesus. Man, if that's you, would, would you just lift your hand for a minute and let me know you're here? We're just going to pray for you today. I, it's time. It's my turn. It's my time. I've been thinking about this. God's been working with me. Just lift your hand and say, I need to start a, I need to start a real relationship with Jesus today. Thank you. You put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Then, then here's what I'm hearing from many, many of you. There is a step, but you don't know what it is. Man, if that's you today, you say, I, I believe God has a step for me to take, but I don't know what it is. And I want to ask God today to help me to know what that next step is. Would you just, would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me today. I want to know. I want to know what's next. I want to know what I'm supposed to do now. I want to know. I promise you. I promise you God will let you know. I'm telling you. He'll help you. I want to know. I want to know what that next step in my faith journey is so that I can follow God. Would you just lift your hand up? Say, I want to know. 
I want to know. God's, God's moving on me. He's working on me. I want to know. As we pray today, if you lifted your hand, so many of you did for so many different reasons. Man, I want to invite you to find a prayer team member and just say, here's my next step. Pray for me that God will help me take it. Or I don't know what it is. Um, pray for me that God will help me find it. Maybe you raised your hand and said, I want to start a new relationship today, a real relationship with Jesus. As I begin to pray, I want you to start to move. And I want you to find a prayer team member. We're just going to pray for you, that's all. You're not joining our church. You're not signing up for anything. You're just coming for prayer. Holy Spirit, draw now everybody in this place who needs prayer. Maybe the next step is to believe you for healing or to believe you for recovery or believe you for a job. Lord, whatever the step is, I pray you'd move today. Holy Spirit, stretch your spirit out. Stretch your presence out over this place. And as we meet with you, Lord, now I pray lives would change. God, as we, as we take a step of faith, as we put our faith into action and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm taking a step of faith this morning. Lord, I pray as we take that step, your presence would meet us there. Come on, if you need prayer, I want you to come as the worship team begins to lead us. Next week, uh, come and celebrate Pastor Jason.